It's the Jeremiah Show. Welcome to the Jeremiah Show. If a person's life can be compared to a book of chapters, this man has lived the equivalent of Tom Clancy's series. His life would fill many books, full of adventure and love, with many exciting chapters. Some read tea leaves. Some read the stars they were born under. I read the laugh lines around someone's eyes to determine what type of life they have lived. They are telling, aren't they? Those laugh lines, the smile lines on a person's face. My very special guest today has some great laugh lines. Along with an easy smile and a deep, genuine laugh. From the moment I first met Jim Drees back on episode 414, Miss Lillian part one and part two, with Steve Ullman, his wife Carol Swarbrick. I like Jim. We immediately struck up a friendship and a repertoire with each other, uh, half teasing, half joking, half prankster. <laughs> we would debate back and forth through emails or text messages or even over the show in a good-natured way. We argued who was cooler. I was always <laughs> arguing Jim was cooler. Yeah. And so the answer is... He is. Jim Drees has published two novels. He and his wife, actress Carol Swarbrick, also wrote a true story of their romance together. And the book is called Better Late Than Never, A Love Story. They also wrote a play together, Miss Lillian, More Than a President's Mother. It was performed across the United States and throughout Canada. The play was later used as the basis for a docudrama that is currently streaming on several platforms, including Amazon Prime. Miss Lillian, more than a president's mother, uh, you can check it out on their website, MissLillian.com, and on Facebook on the Lillian Carter story. You can purchase and stream the film via MissLillian.com and the various platforms there. The principal cast is just incredible that they put together for their film, President Jimmy Carter, former First Lady Rosalind Carter, Sam Donaldson, Tommy Lasorda, and, and actress Carol Swarbrick. Jim has taught in Hawaii and New York. He received an award from the Rockland County Bar Association for his work in law education. He's got a new novel out right now, and what a perfect time I can't think of a better stocking stuffer for someone that you love than Jim Dree's new novel called Commies, Cuties, and the CIA. Welcome, Mr. Jim Dree's. Welcome back. Thank you, Jeremiah. Great to be here. And you are definitely the cooler guy. You're definitely- <laughs> here we go again. <laughs> How well, are we going to settle this? Surround yourself with. There's just <laughs> totally got to be all that cool rubbing off on you. You're just building it up. Well, I think you hit a point there, Jim. The the reason, the only reason maybe there is uh, I have any cool at all is that I surround myself by cool people, which again takes us back to you <laughs> and how cool you are. And we're going to find out how cool you are. Uh, when you were here last, uh, we were talking about the film, and um, we can talk about that again today as well. 
But I I would send people back to that episode, this part one and part two, because he had the really kind of the principal, I would say, production crew and act actress uh, Carol Swarbrick on. But we had the editor, we had the director, we had uh, the producer. Really, really a, a neat kind of a behind the scenes at at Miss Lillian, um, more than a president's mother. It was really cool. I love that. So, and today I really want to spend the time. Um, on you, Jim, and and you've got such a incredible um, life. Like I said in the beginning, the chapters of your life. It's almost like you uh, knew what you were doing. I was under a star. That's all I can say. <laughs> I I, uh, I have these discussions with Carol. And by the way, it, whatever cool I have, I'm like you. I got lucky to get myself surrounded by a whole bunch of people including like the people that made the Lillian Carter film all aces just incredible hardworking but lovely people great sense of humor always kept perspective and that's kind of been the way throughout my life people I grew up with in the Peace Corps people I taught with students and teachers and on and on it's just I I am I am so cool and if I am cool it's because of all these people I get to be around so uh so there we are. Um, so thank you. Rick. Yeah, I wouldn't. Um, I, I think that well, they're drawn to you for sure, uh, as I was. Uh, you know, you and I, you got a twinkle in your eye, and you and I just started having fun right away from, you know, over Zoom. That's pretty in different states. I think that's a, that's a, that's a testament to a personality coming through on a, on a flat screen, you know, and coming to life and connecting. Um, but it, it, yeah, I think that you are right that the people that come through your life and that you have an opportunity to welcome into your life, if you are open to that and you see the person in front of you and you and you're curious about people like I am and I, and I know you are, um, if you like to see the best in people, they add to your life, right? They add layers to your life and. Uh, if you let them in, you know, and you, you get to know them, I think that that adds to someone's character, you know? Absolutely. And I, and I will back to your point about, I am very lucky. I, I have this round uh, on and on going round and round discussion with Carol because I was the youngest of six. My parents were in their forties. I was seven years after the last one. I was clearly the accident. And Carol says, no, you weren't an accident. You were a miracle. And in many ways, my life has been like that. It's been filled with miracles. One one thing after another that happens. A door slams and, you know, another one opens. Not just a window. Another door opens and I get mm -hmm. to walk through it. So, mm. you know, family, friends, acquaintances, It's it's been fabulous. Yeah, absolutely. Jim, you grew up with a really big family in Iowa. What did your parents do? Or did you, did you live on a farm or what did they do for a living? Well, that's a common question uh, when somebody's from Iowa because- And a big family. I, was, I, I grew up in, in, in Sioux City, which is like about 100,000, fairly big for the Midwest. But they assigned me in an agricultural area because they were sure that since I grew up in an agricultural area, I didn't. Uh, but my parents grew up on a farm um, my parents, again, to give you an idea of the age here, they were born in the 1890s. My grandfather was born in 1853. 
So uh, we got a lot of generations there. But for various reasons, they had to leave the farm. Uh, my dad lost lost his right hand in a farming accident when he was 30. And he had to learn life all over again. He had to learn to write again. He had to learn to do things with his left hand that he never thought he would do. Uh, so I, and my mom was hard of hearing. She had diphtheria when she was 13. So I grew up with people that had challenges, but they never complained. They never complained. I never thought they were handicapped. When I was at a parent-teacher conference growing up, when I, one of my teachers said, oh, your parents are handicapped? I was like, oh, are they? I guess they are by definitions, but not by their life. I mean, they, they, they struggled. They had a tough life. They, I think, maybe, maybe got through eighth grade, and that was it. So, but they... Do you they think their tough life to yeah. them was just you know a day in the life and you just you get past it do you have challenges what were those important lessons that maybe weren't uh stated but were understated and observed and appreciated by you subconsciously or absolutely and, and i always envied my father's discipline i wish i had it he could open a can of beer have a sip put a plastic cover on it and make it last through the week. He could have one pack, of, he could have one cigarette out of the pack after dinner, that was it. And he never touched another one till the next day. That's that, discipline. And you know what? Some of my favorite, um, uh, I would say people that I look up towards in the hospitality business, mentors like Tim Rooney, uh, up in Orchid, California, ran an Irish bar, uh, strong Irish family, and they, they had a microbrew, and they would sit out, they would have one cigar at the end of the night and one, one glass of beer from their hard day's work and watch the fog roll in. And it, to me, that's such a romantic, um, very, very cool memory uh, as far as just the atmosphere and the, and the person, and, the, and, and they were so quiet, but it was this shared cigar and this, you know, just like we did a hard day's work. It sounds like your dad. Yep. And those fantastic memories never leave you. Just like now, you can remember it and you can appreciate it and you can get a smile on your face when you share it. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Um, the uh, you, you had six brothers and, and sisters. Altogether, there were six of us. Altogether, six. What yeah. number were you, Jim, in the pecking order? Well, you see, there were four sisters. So when my brother was finally born after four sisters, I'm sure my parents thought, done, we did it. <laughs> I, got, I got my boy, I'm sure my dad thought. But like Carol said, miracles happen. So your brother was the last of the youngest. You're, you're the second to the youngest. No, he, he was born after the four. Oh, so and, then you're last. And I was born seven years later after him. You're the baby. Um, <laughs> okay, maybe. Uh, so in high school, you attended a seminary with the intention of serving overseas um, as a missionary in Africa and Asia. And also... Uh, Work, you'd like to work with the poor in America, which I don't hear enough of. I know uh, I'm not taking away anything from anyone, but um, we have so many problems now with homeless and people that just need some help in America, um, you know, with food 
shortage is you know food uh handy what's the word you know they can't afford the groceries and the rent and the electricity and the heat and all those things it just adds up and is usually a, a deficit um i liked seeing you know working with the poor in america was one of the goals um how did you choose though africa um asia in high school how did you choose these these places that you wanted to go and what was the goal as a missionary how did that get inspired the group i went to was a group founded in the 1870s in france and they expanded around the world they had a uh, seminary in uh, indiana in the, in the united states obviously and um that was their mission they they went to areas that needed that were considered underdeveloped or in need whether it was uh, i'm sure they did the same thing in france but when they went to another country like America, then they would do that in America, Africa, and Asia were also part of their mission. There was that, um, not to get too far afield on this, but there was that whole group within the church. Uh, it was called the Society for the Propagation of the Faith. And they they used to have fundraisers in grade school. When I was going to grade school, to get money to buy what they called pagan babies and to baptize them. So at an early age, there was this, this awareness of this need beyond the United States, beyond our borders. Uh, and, and that just was the order that, that I was drawn to. It just, it just made sense to me. I think uh, I was very lucky. I was, I was raised in a diocese where the, the priests and the, were very socially uh, conscious. Mm-hmm. And they, they very much carried out the mission that's taught not only by Jesus, but all all religions around the world to do good, to help the poor, to alleviate suffering. Um, and that sounded good to me. Was there a particular person that inspired you, Jim, to, well, I, I to pursue this life? In our diocese, and he was always praised and elevated by my family. And then I had a first cousin who became a priest also, uh, who was, uh, I mean, he was like 6'2", uh, he could he could match John Wayne with the Cary Grant kind of looks, and it was like, wow, this is kind of these are kind of cool things to aspire to. And of course, there was that old Catholic tradition. I mean, you know, these people grew up. My family grew up in in towns where they spoke German on the phone when they talked to each other. They still carried on those old world traditions. Mm-hmm. Um, you give one to God, so one of your children should either be a priest or one should be a nun best if the priest was a man and the nun was a woman why do you jim suppose you were drawn so much to serving others in far-off places um was there a particular event i mean you've explained this is how it's done and this is what we do and this is what you observed and saw and uh it inspired you but was there a particular event that that you can recall where you thought this would really be this is where i should be because question and i think i've never really examined it but off the top of my head it was probably i i grew up with franklin roosevelt was still president i don't remember much of it i do remember the the rationing coupons from world war ii that my parents had in their household and I remember the idea of scarcity and the idea of planning. 
And then after the war, through a Catholic relief services group, we got connected with the German family, which they, which they, the Catholic relief services did this. They connected American German families with German families that needed help for reconstruction, rebuilding after the devastation of the war. And we sent packages and we had letters and they would explain things to us. And they brought back, uh, they brought to us through the mail, uh, images and pictures of, of what was going on in Germany and what needed to be done to rebuild. And I think that image of uh, the need can be anywhere and the the appreciation that we received from this family that was, you know, they were the enemy in World War II, mm -hmm. but they were human beings now who needed help. Um, and I think that probably really, really struck home at that point. I mean, I was seven, eight years old. Was there a big German community in Sioux City, Iowa at that time? There were a lot of uh, individual communities of that nature in different areas. Where my dad grew up, there was a German community in his town. Where my mother grew up, there was a German community in her town. That's how they, that's how they got together. There was sort of like Match.com version mm -hmm. in the diocesan newspapers that the church published, where if... Uh, you had a son or daughter that was a marriageable age and you were uh, a son or daughter looking for somebody, you could start a pen pal relationship. And that's that's how my parents met. And it was as close as I think we get in America, uh, in most communities anyway, to arrange marriages hmm. um, and barely met at all. So could you feel was there any animosity as a you know, as a German family? Could you feel after the war? Could you feel that at all as a young boy? I couldn't, and maybe it's because my, you know, my family was all German. Uh, they had probably it was more kind of a, of a sense of um, disappointment because our generation did not learn German like they did. As I said, my grandfather was born in 1853, came to this country in the 1880s, and uh, they pretty much emphasized German culture, not Hitler. There, there were no, there were no swastikas. There were, there was no love for Germany uh, in, in the political sense of World War II. But it was still that these were people. But all these little communities in the Midwest, it's fascinating. I'm sure sociologists have written about it. Were all connected together. There were, there were uh, Protestant, uh, Orange Dutch Protestant communities in a place called Orange City, uh, and they would have tulip festivals. There were German communities where, where my my mother grew up. The church was the only school in town. There was no public school. It was just the church school. And like I say, they all spoke German. My father showed me his, left me when he passed away. It was his first Holy Communion prayer book from the, uh, I guess it would have been about 1910, 1911. It's all in German. It was all in German. And yet there was no sense of loyalty to Germany. It was just a sense because when they came over, there wasn't even Germany. There were still, it was still Bavaria and Prussia. It wasn't even Germany. Hmm. So just uh, the culture and the religion. The religion was the big thing. The worst thing I could do, and I had a sneak to do it because me, you know, I'm going to do it. Um, I, you couldn't, you shouldn't date a Lutheran girl because Martin Luther was the one that caused the problem. Hmm. And you know, that was worse than dating just about anybody else. And of course, I, I dated a Luther girl who I had to meet outside of her house on the corner too because her her 
you know, her parents didn't want her dating a Catholic boy. And yet, ironically enough, my mother's favorite Christmas song was Away in a Cradle, which, of course, was written by Martin Luther. So, Wow. That's some, uh, that's some history. That's a good, I like that. That's the kind of giving us a full picture of what you grew up in and around and influences. I've, we do have, I look at our, you know, where we, uh, where people listen around the country, around the world and Sioux city, Iowa is one of the, uh, cities that we have listeners in. And I've always been curious about Sioux city. Uh, well, how would you describe it? This just this is a new question off of my script, but I'm just curious. I mean, I I, I got a guy from Sioux City, Iowa. I'm, I got to ask the question. I've always been curious about the city. Uh, it's a great place to raise a family. It's a wonderful community. A lot of my relatives are still there. Uh, opportunities were a little bit limited. Uh, I would say in general, it's seen better days. Uh, interstate highways had a lot to do with that. The interstate highway going up from Omaha Council Bluffs area uh, goes up to Sioux Falls, and then they catch an interstate that goes across Minnesota and South Dakota, and then it goes on up to North Dakota where they catch another interstate. There's no interstate running right through Sioux City that it connects with. Hmm. So Sioux City is um, it, it's a beautiful town uh, if you like cold winters and hot summers. <laughs> um, Good spot to eat there, Jim. Where would you recommend? Do you got a spot in mind, or have you been there for a while? Oh, it's it's your typical Midwestern food. You can pretty much go to any place where you get meat and you know home you fries and bacon, and, <laughs> and uh, they don't have grits there like they do down south. But it's uh, I I wouldn't know these days the kind of food I'm looking for. It's a little more health oriented, a little mm. less beef, a little <laughs> less fat. Have a little trouble finding places in Sioux City. You got to get into sh uh, your bathing suit out there in Florida a little bit more, don't you? <laughs> Looking good. Trying to look good. Um, okay, we got to take a real quick break. Um, I, I just want to make the point, though, that the life that you chose, and we're going to continue to explore your life with Jim after the break here, so please don't go anywhere. It's very fascinating, I promise you, um, the life that you lived. But it strikes me that it was very uh, unselfish, and um, I like it. Uh, I know there are so many unselfish people out there that give and, and help others, uh, I, I like the theme, though. I think we need more of that. People that are unselfish and kind of uh, look to help humanity and, and see how they can contribute. And that's, um, I would imagine you would agree with me, Jim, probably a pretty satisfying life, um, no Don't matter how sing. much you can give. I'm somewhere between Mother Teresa and Jeffrey Dahmer, a little more <laughs> close to the Mother Teresa part, but I, I've, I've had my times. So a lot of people would disagree that I'm uh, any anything close to uh, being a really wonderful, caring, great couple ex-wives might have a different view of things. But thank you, Jeremy. They're very kind. Very cool. We won't ask them. Don't worry. I'm not going to surprise you with them on this show. <laughs> We're talking with Jim Drees. He's a writer, uh, humanitarian, uh, so many different things that, that I, I couldn't give him all the titles out. But he's got a new novel out. I'd love for you to check it out. Commies, Cuties, and the CIA. You can find it on Amazon. And we'll be right back with more from Jim Drees.
a cold finger Beckons you to enter his web of sin Mr. Restaurant is a tasty new segment on The Jeremiah Show. Host Will Knox, renowned restaurant real estate specialist, serves up a fresh look at the restaurant business. On the menu, celebrity chefs, startups, operators, deal makers, designers, and those are just some of the appetizers. Look for all of Mr. Restaurant's shows. Tell your smart speaker to play The Jeremiah Show, Mr. Restaurant. Hi, I'm Shadow Stevens. While I'm doing this and that and the other thing at the very same time, I'm having a great time on The Jeremiah Show, the greatest show in the history of the world. For the love of God, subscribe. No, seriously, subscribe. The time is January 1964. Robert Kennedy and his wife Ethel are visiting the Philippines on a diplomatic mission. The main character in the story, Carter Redding, a Peace Corps volunteer in the Philippines, happens to be in Manila at the same time. Carter decides to go out to the Manila International Airport and see if, by chance, he could be in the crowd greeting the Kennedys. Carter's hopes are exceeded when he is also able to squeeze into the back of the press conference at the airport. While there, he prevents an attempt on Kennedy's life by a nearby gunman described as a photographer in the process, Redding is himself wounded. Those that wanted Kennedy assassinated are furious at Carter's intervention and are convinced that Carter's real bosses, assumed to be the CIA, must be discovered before the would-be assassins can move ahead with their plans. This leads Carter to a rabbit hole of meetings with people from several backgrounds that he might not otherwise have encountered, including politicians, journalists, a mysterious retired military officer, and an exotic lady of the evening. Carter, at the same time, attempts to carry on his duties as a Peace Corps volunteer, but violence and strange sexual encounters and interactions with spirits follow him and interfere with his responsibilities. Finally, a violent encounter in the jungle of the Philippine island of Palawan brings this story to an alarming conclusion. You can get my book on Amazon and other book sources by request. Hey, everybody, it's Tim Stack from It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack telling you, asking you to watch the show Sprung on Freebie, Amazon's new free channel. I promise you it's funny. It's got heart, and my shoulder appears in episode three. Welcome, Los Angeles. The Jeremiah Show is now on Radio Candy Radio. Discover a world of emotions, your digital radio. The Jeremiah Show airs 10 p.m. Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays. RadioCandyRadio.com. Hi, I'm Mariel Hemingway, and you're listening to The Jeremiah Show. Welcome back to the show. We have uh, Jim Drees. He's the author of Commies, Cuties, and the CIA, if that's not a title for you. Uh, we've got the, if you're on the YouTube channel watching the interview here, we've got um, the jacket up and 
Boy, that's great. We're going to get to the book towards the end, Jim, but uh, the graphics on this novel, the cover is just beautiful. You said you have a, a graphic artist friend that designed this for you? That's correct. Yeah, yeah. Ann York, she lives out in Temecula, California, hmm. and uh, I've known her through her unfortunately recently deceased, but husband Don York, who is a, a great artist in his own right. Yeah, like it's great. Uh, and we can find all your books on Amazon, right? Under Jim Dries, D-R-I-E-S. I hope so. <laughs> well, yeah, they may be sell, sold out. So get there now. Get the uh, Reserve your copy. Send the copy to someone uh, that you love. I, I uh, recommend that you pick... Uh, more than one and send it out to different people that love to read and to read really great novels from Jim Dries. Again, it's commies, cuties, and the CIA. He's our special guest today. Um, let's pick up where we left off in college. Uh, Jim, we're, we're tracing your life here, which is so fascinating. Um, it does read like a, a great uh, adventure novel, you know, your where you've been, what you've experienced, and uh, what you've given back to the to the world. I think it it looks like y you you'd probably argue with me on this one, but it looks like you've given back more than you've taken. Um, I imagine you'd argue that you've got a lot from all these experiences that that you've uh, that you've you know that you've accomplished and and been around the world a few times, more than a few times. So. After graduating from college, you decided to move on to a broader direction, which was, at this point, servicing a, a serv the service, I should say, of teaching and teaching schools. You were two years in the Peace Corps in the Philippines. Can you tell us about this experience and what did you learn about yourself and also from the people that you served? Sure. Um First of all, I learned that um, not everybody in the world expects the United States to be saviors. Uh, when we did our training in the Philippines, the Philippine-American community there embraced the Peace Corps volunteers that were going to the Philippines. They had a lot of events. They had uh, uh, huge dinners and, and uh, festivals and put on shows for us. And I, I'm perfectly honest in saying, when we got off the plane in Manila, I expected banners and lays and, and bands. And it was like, oh. We're, we're just here. <laughs> we're just here. And I realized uh, my place, even the place of the U.S. in the world, was not the foremost thing on people's minds. Uh, it really helped me get out of myself. Uh, it, it also helped me relax a little bit. I mean, I kicked up my heels in college, believe me. And I... I worked my way through college i ran a tv camera uh 30 hours a week while going to school full-time uh, got a lot of other part-time jobs that all added to my experience uh, and i knew that there's got to be a work hard play hard and that that was actually kind of a kennedy shriver legacy that that we picked up on from some of the people in the staff including some what they call Peace Corps volunteer leaders, people that had been in the Peace Corps for a while, volunteers that had been there for a while. Uh, and they helped us loosen up because pretty hard to stay on the straight and narrow uh, in a place where you really don't know most people. Uh, it was hard for me to learn the language because my village in the Philippines was a combined village, 
where ex-communist rebels had been promised free land if they would give up their arms and they would be brought to plow and, and given uh, free land, which they were. Mm. And uh, as a result, there were 43 different languages and dialects just in the town I lived in. It was hard wow. to latch on to one, and English was, was the language of instruction. Um, so it was easy for me to uh, stay in my little shell, but I broadened out. I connected. I, I learned to have fun as well as do service. I mean, service always mattered. Uh, that was what we're there for. And that's what all the volunteers were there for. There were one or two occasionally in my group really got out of line and they were home. They, they were gone. You can have a good time away from your village, but enjoy the people, uh, enjoy the connections you made, but they're there to work. Uh, when it was vacation, we played. So it was, I, I learned a little bit more balance too. And I learned a lot about different values. I, I, as I said, I grew up in a pretty conservative Catholic community, uh, but one that taught a lot about social values and about being of service. Um, and I, I broadened out and realized there was a much bigger world out there than I had been aware of. And it was a, a real eye opener for me. Tell us what the peace. I should have asked you to do this first. For those that don't know, what are the what does the Peace Corps do exactly? What's the main mission? Um, I mean, I think we're all aware of the Peace Corps, but what are the, what's the mission overall? Well, founded in the 1960s, as you know, by President Kennedy, uh, based on an idea that Hubert Humphrey before him had, but President Kennedy was the one that was in power to put it in place. There were three main goals. One was to be of service. One was to provide some skill that would assist developing countries. It was never to replace anybody. I could not be a teacher in a classroom alone. I could be what they call a co-teacher. I could bring in some new skills, some new techniques, some latest techniques that I would be trained in, the, in Manila and then bring down uh, and trained before we got in the country during our Peace Corps training in, in Hawaii. And, uh, that was that was the first no matter where you are no matter what country you're serving in and some were harder some were easier mine was a, a pretty good challenge uh there was no running water there was no electricity uh when it got dark it got dark uh maybe you had candles and kerosene lanterns if you're lucky and you could afford the kerosene for a couple hours um but there were volunteers in nepal i worked in some nepal groups and that were three days back in those days they were three days walk from their mailbox so if they wanted to get mail, they had three days for that. Uh, but mine was was um, sounds like AOL. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't resist. Which I still have. Which some people <laughs> tell me it's time to at least go to Gmail. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't resist. Well. So, uh, Sorry, you know, I drew the purpose was to learn about other countries, other cultures, to be able to bring back to the United States an understanding of what else was going on in the world. And the third purpose of the Peace Corps was for other countries to understand more about the United States, about Americans, by having personal interaction, working with them, living in the same households, um, elbow to elbow, rubbing shoulders and sharing the same experiences and the same I don't know if you call them hardships, but the same lifestyle. We didn't go off and live in some apartment house and leave them in the in the village without uh, 
you know, any uh, electricity, water, so forth, as I mentioned. So those are the three purposes of the Peace Corps. And then those are still the purposes. I think over the years there has been, uh, and there were in the beginning years, in the years I was there, there was still kind of a figuring out exactly how this was all going to be played out because it was a broad mission, very general, which needed a little more structure to it. And I could see even in the groups that came in after me, they added more structure and and people became more goal oriented was clear what was going on in in general not always but i think uh now the peace corps has even refined its mission more uh and provides even more service and maybe some of the other missions haven't been regarded as as quite a, as important but i and not actively involved anymore, so it's hard to say that exactly. Well, I checked out their website today, and I'm going to direct the listeners there if you're interested in becoming a volunteer or the different things that you can do with the Peace Corps. Uh, really great, great organization, peacecorps.gov. So it's uh, P-E-A-C-E-C-O-R-P-S.gov. We'll be right back with more with author Jim Drees, commies. Cuties and the CIA is his new book. You got two minutes. Go buy a copy right now, and we'll see you back here in two minutes. Welcome, Somerset, England. The Jeremiah Show is now on Core Radio. Keep on rocking to the core. Core Radio, the Jeremiah Show, airs at 10 p.m. Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursday. Core Radio dot rocks. Hey there, I'm Caleb. I'm Becca. And I'm Joshua. And we, we are a girl named Tom. Go to girlnamedtom.com to hear more of our music, buy merchandise, and learn about our story. You're listening to The Jeremiah Show. I strongly recommend that you watch Miss Lillian, More Than a President's Mother. The website is MissLillian.com. It's the Lillian Carter story. On MissLillian.com, you can find many ways to stream the movie or even purchase More Than a President's Mother, Miss Lillian, More Than a President's Mother. On Facebook, you can check it out at the Lillian Carter story. And uh, principal cast is incredible. President Jimmy Carter, former First Lady Rosalind Carter, Sam Donaldson, Tommy Lasorda, and of course, our friend 
Carol Swarbrick. Written by Carol Swarbrick and Jim Drees, our very special guest today. You've been listening to The Jeremiah Show. I am Miles Zuniga from Fastball. Hey, this is Tim. And this is Christian. We're L1011. Hi, this is Ron Sexsmith on The Jeremiah Show. And we're back with The Jeremiah Show. Back to the Jeremiah Show. We're talking with author Jim Drees. His new book is Commies, Cuties, and the CIA. Pick up a copy now. Throw it in a stocking near you. Uh, we were talking about the Peace Corps when we left the, for the break, Jim. Um, the, the, after the service in the Philippines, your interest in Asia just grew stronger. Um, you came back to the United States, and you earned your master's degree in South Asian Studies uh, at the University of Hawaii and the East-West Center. How did you like University of Hawaii? I spent some time over there. Oh, God, I just hated it. You know, I mean, the beach and, you know, aloha shirts and shorts and, you know, the girls in the bikinis. I mean, you know. Isn't it a terrible it was just such like, a burden. It why just, did you send me here? This is just too perfect. <laughs> well, you know, like I said, I grew up in, a, in, a, in an environment of a lot of pain and suffering, and I continued that right through graduate school. Yeah. Not. <laughs> it was University of Hawaii. We love you. Uh, okay, so why do you love Asia so much? What drew you to studying Asia, visiting Asia, helping out in Asia? There's a there's a a draw you have what what drew you there jim well i think first of all as i mentioned earlier it was it was the idea of service where where does it seem like a need is great and and as i grew up in the society for the propagation of faith saving these pagan babies uh it created an interest and then as i say when i got to the philippines and learned more and studied more um I found that these people have independent, strong, viable, justifiable cultures and values of their own. And uh, once I got there, I became fascinated with learning about different ways of thought, different ways of religious practice, uh, different histories that were way longer than anything in Europe or the United States. 
Uh, and there were things there we could learn. There, there were things that um, ideas, concepts that would broaden my life and could broaden that of other people if I brought some of this back to the United States, uh, which is always my home. I never wanted to go to Asia as an expatriate. I never wanted to live there the rest of my life. But I wanted to make connections mm -hmm. uh, to, to broaden our understanding of each other. I think there's so much misunderstanding still in the world. Uh, but have to work to make it better have to work to take down those barriers i mean the ideas of hinduism the ideas of buddhism the ideas of confucianism uh the historical record uh just was all fascinating to me you uh returned to the states after hawaii and you went to new york where you received an award from the rockland county bar association for your work in law education and uh from Hawaii to New York, I can't think of two more extreme, uh, was it a culture shock? Two different extreme places from the big, from the gentle breezes and the palm trees and the sunsets and the pina coladas or mai tais to, <laughs> to New York City, cars and skyscrapers and lots of people. Was there a culture shock? It, it was a little bit. There was always a little bit of a culture shock coming back to the United States and, and realizing you could find a switch on the wall and flip it and there'd be lights. You could go to this place called a sink and turn something on called a faucet and there'd be safe drinkable water here. Yeah. Uh, and you go down to a grocery store and walk down the aisles and you go, wow, look at the stuff. Look at the abundance. It's it's astonishing. And that, then then New York, I remember when I had the interview in the, in the school district that eventually hired me, uh, I had to rent a car at the airport and, and drive from New York City to the uh, suburban district that I was being interviewed for. And I was like, I was kind of like, can I, can I, can I make it through this traffic? Can I find where to turn? Can I, I mean, yeah, the interstate, interstate one is in Hawaii, but it's very hard to get on interstate one and connect to the five. <laughs> you know, I couldn't find that bridge, but but there was Interstate One in New York. There were lots of bridges, lots of connections, lots of places to get lost. Yeah, it was a bit of a culture shock. Well, you can't but really... to get to the Interstate in Hawaii. You can't don't go past the palm tree with the three coconuts <laughs> and the pineapple field on the left. <laughs> right. um, okay, did I tell you Jim was just uh, a, a, an adventurer, just a very very cool guy? I'm gonna underline that right now with this one 99 you volunteered to teach sherpa students in nepal <laughs> i don't know if i've ever put those words all together in one sentence and thought about them at all in my entire life teaching sherpa students it. in nepal what it that is so cool <laughs> tell me about that jim and then we got to take a break here yeah well, uh, Jeremiah, I'd been to Nepal in 65. I'd been there again for my research, 67, 68. The country just absolutely fascinated me. The mountains, the villages, the Mount Everest. Uh, I had trekked in the fall of 99, and I knew I wanted to go back to Everest Base Camp at some point. But I wanted to get to know the culture better. I wanted to get to know the people better. I wanted to just not be another tourist going through the area. So I thought, well, what can I do? Well, I can teach. So maybe I could maybe I could teach school and then get to know the people, get to know the culture and, and make some friends. Uh, and I did. And that's what happened. Uh, and the Sherpa children, the Sherpa culture, that's another variation on values, uh, territory, people, history. And uh, and another time we'll talk about uh, the Yetis.
anyway, so that's that's the Sherpa children teaching in Nepal. Hmm. Did I say he was cool? Jim Drees, author of Commies, Cuties, and the CIA. We'll be right back. Check out Jeremiah's top 10 new artist picks on Radio India Alliance each week. The Radio India Alliance is a chart service that allows indie recording artists an opportunity to have chart placements. We don't charge. We support RadioIndiaAlliance.com. Hi there, everybody. This is Ann Hitch. Hey, everybody. I'm Art Alex Hux from the band Everclear. My name's Danny Dreho. And you're listening to The Jeremiah Show. Jeremiah, you're loved, Holmes. you need help with your restaurant or hospitality business, see how we can help your business at hjlrestaurantadvisors.com. The time is January 1964. Robert Kennedy and his wife Ethel are visiting the Philippines on a diplomatic mission. The main character in the story, Carter Redding, a Peace Corps volunteer in the Philippines, happens to be in Manila at the same time. Carter decides to go out to the Manila International Airport and see if by chance he could be in the crowd greeting the Kennedys. Carter's hopes are exceeded when he is also able to squeeze into the back of the press conference at the airport. While there, he prevents an attempt on Kennedy's life by a nearby gunman described as a photographer in the process, Redding is himself wounded. Those that wanted Kennedy assassinated are furious at Carter's intervention and are convinced that Carter's real bosses assumed to be the CIA, must be discovered before the would-be assassins can move ahead with their plans. This leads Carter to a rabbit hole of meetings with people from several backgrounds that he might not otherwise have encountered, including politicians, journalists, a mysterious retired military officer, and an exotic lady of the evening. Carter, at the same time, attempts to carry on his duties as a Peace Corps volunteer, but violence and strange sexual encounters and interactions with spirits follow him and interfere with his responsibilities. 
Finally, a violent encounter in the jungle of the Philippine island of Palawan brings the story to an alarming conclusion. You can get my book on Amazon and other book sources by request. Hey, it's Tim Stack, and having been in show business for so long, I have a lot of really funny friends, and you can hear them all on It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack. That's part of The Jeremiah Show. So listen. Hey, this is Jeff Stump Baxter. Please open your heart and reach out to a veteran and let them know, number one, that they are loved and respected. You won't give up if they don't give up. And you're listening to The Jeremiah Show. Welcome back to the Jim Drees Show. We're with Jim Drees, author, commies, cuties, and the CIA. Fascinating man, good friend. Uh, now I think I can call him. Uh, so happy to see him and have some time to, to talk through uh, and just barely scratch the surface of his fascinating life, the adventures. Um, Jim, you've been really pretty much everywhere. You've been around the world many, many times. Um, you pursue, along with your wife, an active life of adventure. To, to, that, that's an understatement. Um, I'm just going to quickly, just because we're running out of time, go through some of these um, places. Let's see. So I'm looking through. I'm like, which one do you talk about? There's so many great, great spots you've been around in the world. Um You've trekked to Mount Everest Base Camp with Carol. Um, you've had extensive travel and trekking in Ladka and uh, let's see here, uh, technical mountain climbing. You're a professional guide in the Southern Alps of New Zealand. In Africa, you observe the mountain gorillas in the wild in Rwanda and Uganda. Um, you also had a safari in Uganda and Tanzania. You skydived over New Zealand with Carol. Uh, you trekked to the base camp, and I'm going to need your help here on this one. Is it Kanchenjunga? Kanchenjunga. Kanchenjunga. It's the third highest peak in the world. Uh, you trekked through western Nepal. You did whitewater rafting in the mountains of Nepal. Uh, you toured and visited Tibet. You've done bareboat sailing in the British Virgin Islands. Uh, what is bareboat sailing? Uh, bareboat sailing is essentially you get a group of people and uh, you just rent a boat, uh, and it's it's essentially it's got the mast, the steering wheel, and those things. But it you buy the gas, you buy the groceries, you pay for all the upkeep. Obviously, you pay a significant amount to just use it. And the group I got connected with through a friend was a group of about 70 people from the Toronto Yacht Club who in the middle of winter wanted a yacht 
to take uh, to get some yachts and uh, do some sailing. And I got to be able to connect with this group, and they call it bareboat uh, bareboat sail uh, charter sailing. Well. <laughs> You need a camera crew. When, I want to know when the autobiography is going to come out because there's, we don't have enough time to capture all these great stories that you have probably for each one of these places I mentioned, and there's more. I haven't mentioned all of them. Um, well, you think about that. I'd love to read it when you get a cop, when you get it out there. Uh, I had a question, though, and I was reading you know, through some of your adventures and talking to you about them. Um, it struck me that a lot of people out there that are listening right now, including myself sometimes, put off their adventures in life until retirement or one day I'll do that um, or I can't do that right now, um, but one day I'll do that. What do you say to that that mindset? It, it would, can you let's convince them that one day may never happen, do it today? Yeah, it, it, I, it, it was... I got motivated by the fact that during that last year of teaching, when I love teaching, people say, oh, you taught in New York schools. It must be awful. Well, maybe maybe they're thinking of some inner city school, but not where I taught. Rockland County, South Orangetown School District, fabulous people, fabulous group, great programs like the law program that I was part of. I can tell lots of stories on that, but that's another time. By the way, I want to correct you, if I may, please. It's sure. not the Jim Grease show. I believe it's the Jeremiah show, but thank you. <laughs> I, I wouldn't want that responsibility. That, that, Here we that. go. Argue it again. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I think Carol is right. Uh, my life has been a miracle. And uh, my brother died at 64, never got a chance to really enjoy life. We'd been at a family reunion that summer, and we were talking about all the stuff we we're going to do when we retired, how we we're going to go fishing again like we used to do when we were kids. Dropped dead from a heart attack. Boom. Mm -hmm. And then I got an invitation to go trekking in Nepal to go to Katsujunga Base Camp. Uh, I got a, a second wife who said, I got somebody better, and it was like, okay, I think the, I think the signals are clear. Time to move on. And this great adventure awaited me and I took advantage of it and I was been very blessed. And it's like, it's not that I retired. I just got another life. I just got reborn in a different way. And Carol and I getting together, that was kismet, serendipity, whatever you want to call it, because I wasn't supposed to be in California the weekend that I was there in that part of California. She wasn't supposed to be there. There we were. Ended up, she had a ticket to a concert that was in Bel Air in a home of a, of a Gershwin family uh, that was like, whoa, this is, this is really interesting. And uh, she discovered that I'd always been in act uh, interested in acting. I'd done a little bit early in my life. Uh, I wanted to dip my toe in it. She had always been waiting for the next audition, waiting for the next audition, never took a moment off to do that adventure travel. If she did some travel, it was working. She worked in Japan. She worked in Switzerland. So we put it together. She reignited my interest, helped me point the way to some great adventures with theater, directing, acting, commercials. We're doing a commercial this uh, Thursday. We got the Washington, D.C. showing of Lillian Carter this Sunday. Uh, and she said, yeah, I can travel. So she came, she taught uh, school with me, with the Peace Corps kids, and then we both went to uh, base camp, like you say, and so it's continued. It just keeps unfolding. And uh, I love bingo, but I just can't 
my life can't be those two hours a week playing bingo. It's like, there's yeah. got to be something to do. You just gave me a, an idea about my autobiography. That just sounds so self-centered, though. No, I, you've got so many great uh, stories, and so you've contributed so much. Uh, I think, uh, I personally think sharing our stories with the world um you know we all learn i learned i've learned so much in this one hour with you jim um uh you know the listeners all around the world that are tuning into this story of yours uh it, 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 you in some ways i i guess saying it's a duty or an obligation is too strong but it feels like to me uh, you know i tell my mom this all the time she she uh has taken care of children for I don't know, forever since I'm uh, I'm still here. I'm still a child, so she's still taking care of children in her own family. But <laughs> she has a business that she takes care of children, and she teaches them. And um, a lot of it's based on just nature and being outside and looking at the leaves and the the flowers and the trees and the you know becoming independent as little people. And I always tell her. And you should share that with, with the, what you see all day long. And I think all of us learn from uh, human behavior, human experiences and stories. And you have so many, your life's been dedicated in so many ways to fellow humans. And, and like I said at the beginning, unselfishly uh, teaching, um, learning and listening and, and all the things I, I would be fascinated by and around the world. So I don't know. I'll read it. I'm sure a lot of others would as well. So I don't think it's selfish uh, or self-serving or whatever you, you said, but I think it's a, um, to me in a way, it's like share those things. What That's what it's, that's why you experience them all, you know, for to pass on. Somebody may pick something up out of it. Somebody may not, but you most likely you'll, you'll reach people. So anyway, that's my pitch for you to do your autobiography. <laughs> Thank you, Jeremiah. I'm trying to figure out my next project. And by the way, in terms of, what to do with your with your life i know that in the lily carter show there was a moment where president carter had lost the re-election bid he was home and his mom who had as we know had joined the peace corps when she was 68 said what are you gonna do with the rest of your life it's not it's not over i remember seeing a commercial when i was still teaching and my kids were young and it was a group of people a small group of people obviously in a tent uh, open-sided tent in africa with the wind kind of blowing around it's hot it's humid this younger guy maybe 30s is looking at this older man who's part of his team and looks at him and says what are you going to do when you are retired and the man says back oh i am retired mm -hmm. so you know you, you're you're never too old to do things and it's never too early never too late to say i can do that i was just reading a book not too long ago by about a woman who survived the Holocaust eventually became a high school uh, counselor. And she had a great story to tell, too. Now, those are the people with great stories. She was sitting around with like her high school principal one day and said, I'd like to get a doctorate. But gee, I might be 50 when I get a doctorate. And he said, you're going to be 50 anyway. You want to be 50 with a doctorate or without a doctorate? Exactly. She got her doctorate. She became a world, world famous public speaker to, to all kinds of groups. So. You're never too old. It's never too late. And life continues as long as you want it to continue. And we're all miracles. Jeremiah, you're a miracle. What you do is miraculous. Uh, I really hope uh, you have learned so much. You ought to write about all these shows. You ought to talk about the people that have been in your shows. My God, you have such a 
such a wealth of information that you could share. So I toss the ball back good, to you. A lot of good stories. I won't deny that. A lot of great, a lot of great guests over the years, Jim, including your wife Carol Swarbrick. Um, so. Let's talk about the book, Commies, Cuties, and the CIA, before we say goodbye. And uh, what drew you to subject matter? Well, first of all, Commies, Cuties, and the CIA was the admonition that then-Vice President Lyndon Johnson gave Sergeant Shriver when he was the first director of the Peace Corps. And he said, don't get yourself or your volunteers involved with Commies, Cuties, or the CIA then you're gonna you're gonna spoil it you're gonna cause scandals and spoil it i think we all know what most of those mean mm -hmm. uh and so uh we got a lot of stories i could talk about those things uh and uh so i got inspired by some of those thoughts to share some of the stories that i experienced in a fictional form like i say a friend asked me uh, in the beginning of this book we mentioned it there's an attempt on robert kennedy's life in the Philippines. That didn't happen, but he did go to the Philippines. He was on a peace mission. I was there. Some of the things I described in the book happened, and then it becomes fiction. But a lot of the other things are inspired by my experiences, by people I met, or actually combinations. There's nobody in the book except for historical characters like Sergeant Shriver and Robert Kennedy Jr. that are actually true characters, but they're compilations combinations of characters and experiences so another time we can read the book and we'll talk about was that true wasn't that true what made you think of that so it's it's a book about adventure excitement um uh interesting women and uh, based on a true story to some little small degree and a little insight into what it might be like to be a peace corps volunteer without all the exotic international conspiracies involved well, yeah, I would. Uh, I'll, I'll get a copy of the book. Um, like I said, I'll read it uh, over Thanksgiving week, and then I'd love to have you come back and talk about actually just the book if you'd like um, to add to this interview. Um, what are your proudest? You got to be proud of so much, Jim. Proudest accomplishments in life? Do you think? Uh, well, the, they'd have to be uh, this beautiful marriage I have to Carol, which is just inspirational. That's a miracle. Um, the three marvelous children that I was able to be part of raising, even though it was uh, after a few years joint custody and, and a not real happy divorce uh, that came out of it amazingly, all very strong, independent people on their own with their own families, the wonderful grand, uh, wonderful grandchildren, uh, and the and the people and and the situations that I've been able to be involved with. I mean, uh, my world is so big. There are so many great people from students that I remember, from people I worked with, people like yourself I've gotten uh, to know only since I've been retired. Uh, it, it's just been a whole bunch of wow experiences, uh, things that I never thought would happen. And, and it, it's just too hard to enumerate each one beyond that. But uh, I have really been blessed. I, I have really been blessed. And, and Jeremiah, I do hope we're friends. I like to think of that and uh you certainly are one of the highlights of my life every time i meet somebody amazing like you it just adds adds another little jewel to the crown of my life i think it's safe to say that we've uh jim and i've got a 
a, a mutual um, respect for each other. And we're going to continue to argue about which one is cooler, I'm sure, for, for many, many years to come. <laughs> uh, the, the book, The Love Story Between Carol Swarbrick, Your Wife, and Jim Drees, uh, they wrote a, a, you guys wrote a book together called Better Late Than Never, A Love Story by Jim Drees and Carol Swarbrick Drees. Uh, so if you want to read the, the, the love story, there it is. And uh, Commies, Cuties, and the CIA is the latest book by Jim Drees, author Jim Drees. Jim Drees is written for theater, Miss Lillian, More Than a President's Mother. Jim uh, is an actor. Uh, Jim is a teacher, a Peace Corps volunteer, member, trainer. Um, he is a adventurer around the world. Um, he is a, a lover of life. Um, what else did I forget, Jim? You've been directed. You've done it all. You've done a lot. You've done a lot of great things with your life and uh, continue to do so. No slowing down. Um, Jim, thank you so much for, for joining us. Jeremiah, thank you for your generosity. Thank you for your interest. And keep the Jeremiah show going. 500 more and 500 more after that. Okay, we will do that. I promise you. Communicate. Listen more and evolve. And you've been listening to The Jim Bree Show. This is comedian Maz Chobrani, and you are listening to The Jeremiah Show. Listen, man. Hi, everybody. I'm Billy Vera, and I'm here to tell you about my memoir. My memoir is called Harlem to Hollywood, and it's available at Amazon and just about anywhere great books or even lousy books are sold. But mine's a good one, and I think you'll enjoy it. You're listening to The Jeremiah Show. Did you like our soundtrack? Find all of our soundtracks on Spotify. The Jeremiah Show. Look for the black label. As always, a big thanks to our station manager, Les Carroll, for letting us on the air at all. Listeners, we appreciate you and want to hear from you. Please send us your ideas at jeremiah at thejeremiahshow.com or on Messenger, on Facebook, or Instagram. The Jeremiah Show is produced by executive producer Jeremiah Higgins and me, your announcer, Tony Kelly. Communicate, listen more, and evolve. I'm putting my guns in the ground. I can't shoot them anymore. This is Miles Copeland. Yeah, I just had the honor of speaking to the Jeremiah Show. Who would have believed that little old me would have the opportunity to speak on such a prestigious show? And they even talked about my book, Two Steps Forward, One Step Back, My Life in the Music Business. So it was a great pleasure to uh, be on that show, The Jeremiah Show. I love you.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.